0: From in San Francisco, this is the writer's block. I'm Delia Efren, and I'm going to be reading from my new novel, The Lion Is In. It's about three women on the run and a lion who changes their lives. Chapter one Two young women stand by the side of a rural two lane highway. They are not sure what the road is or where it goes. In a frenzy, they left the interstate at a random exit, took one turn, and then another. They are heading south, not intentionally. They are pretty enough to stop traffic, although there isn't any to stop. Lana is wearing ripped jeans, a T-shirt, and those flat plastic shoes called jellies. Tracy is in a wedding dress and veil. She has been crying for several hours and has run out of tears. Now she is simply sniffling and her nose is red. Her dress and shoes don't match, but no one can see that because her strapless gown is floor-length, a gorgeous swath of satin, beading, and lace. Their car, an old Mustang, has a flat. Lana slips off a jelly and smacks it against her thigh to get the gravel out. She wants to swear. She wants to let loose with a stream of expletives. This tire situation is such a calamity, potentially a nightmare, but she can't swear because she has given up swearing as a result of Well, it turned out that giving up one thing led to giving up others. Giving up is becoming addictive. In addition to being five months and two days sober, she is 21 days without a Pepsi and six days without so much as a damn. She feels cleaner as a result, as if fresh from a bath, but even more frustrated and edgy. She bites hard on her pinky nail while eyeing the flat. I was thinking, says Tracy, do you think that maybe J.C., I don't want to hear about him anymore. He's a jerk, an asshole. Lana wonders if asshole is a swear word. Probably. Sort of. I'm swearing again. But you're not drinking. That guy is a shit. Now it's official. She is swearing again. I mean it. My ears are falling off. Please, I am begging you, forget him. God, the way he talks. Huh? Kiss my ass is one thing. Everyone says it fine. It's cool. But how's your ass is not hello, and watch your ass is not goodbye. But that is not the point. That is merely personally offensive to me. For your birthday, he gave you a lottery ticket that was already scratched. Tracy remembers. How could she ever forget J.C. dancing around the room, grinning, teasing her to guess what was in his shirt pocket? It's the thought. What thought? It was a losing ticket, and it was scratched. What is thinking here? The thinking. There was thinking, Tracy's Sure. How had he explained it? Somehow. It's a tick away, but with Lana ranting at her, she only sighs. You were practically his maid, says Lana. I like the laundromat. I like the smell. She wiggles, trying to keep her dress from slipping. The strapless part is threatening to fall, but if she lets go of the bottom to adjust the top, the bottom will brush the ground and get dirty. Would you pull up my front? Sure, says Lana. Lana gives the fabric between Tracy's breasts a tug and then returns to the problem of the tire, taking a few steps back to see if a bit of distance might be enlightening. I didn't realize that flats were so flat the bottom looks melted. She walks around to the trunk and pops it. What are you doing, says Tracy, changing the tire. Wow, how? I don't know. I've seen people change tires. Lana pulls out the jack and nearly drops it. It's steel. Not that she couldn't have told you that, but she wasn't prepared for the wait. Suppose someone sees us, says Tracy. Who's going to see us? Everyone in the world. Tracy is close to hysterics again, hovering in the vicinity. She sounds like a mouse with someone's foot on its tail. Get in the car and scrunch. They're looking for two women, not one. They're looking for me. And me. Not as much as me. Tracy, scrunch. A woman walks by the side of the highway. She's been walking for several hours, simply putting one foot in front of the other and wondering where it will get her. The woman who recently turned 50 is wearing her Sunday best, a buttoned-up polyester blouse with a bow at the neckline, a lemon-colored A-line skirt with a matching, rather shapeless jacket. Her long hair... Sparrow brown, streaked with gray, is pinned up in a bun. The sun is low enough on the horizon that the light has dimmed so that she doesn't need to squint, thank goodness, because it sometimes gives her a headache. She expected the road to be what it is, empty. She took this route for that reason, is familiar enough with the area to know that this road leads nowhere interesting. Way up ahead, she sees a car. From this distance, no more than a silver bump shimmering in the evening sun. Tracy notices her first. She has slid down in the seat as far as she can, the voluminous folds of her skirt riding up to her chin. The car is hot. The dress, in this situation like a blanket, is suffocating. She bounces up to cool off, sees the woman and squeaks with anxiety. Lana looks. What's she doing here, says Tracy. They watch her steady, steady unhurried approach. Hi, says Lana. Are you all right? Do you need help? The woman is friendly, but not curious. She doesn't, for instance, peer in the car window or peruse Lana from head to toe. She appears merely polite. The spare is now attached, and Lana has been trying to secure the nuts. Or are they bolts? She isn't sure. I'm having the worst time tightening these. If I press with my foot, says Rita... I think that will help. Lana fits the long-handled wrench over whatever it is, nut or bolt. The woman places her foot on the wrench handle and then, grabbing onto the roof of the car, hoists herself up so that her entire body weighs the handle down. She's a smallish woman, about five foot three inches, and her figure, once trim, has gone round. Lana presses with all her might. The wrench makes a satisfying half-circle. Thank you so much, says Lana. Thanks, Tracy calls from inside the car, keeping her face averted. It's nothing, says the woman. You're welcome. Lana tosses the wrench in the trunk and wipes an arm across her sweaty forehead. She repacks the trunk again with the flat tire and the jack, refusing to let the woman help. You'll get dirty, she says, which is true. Would you like a ride? Tracy squeaks. Excuse me, says Lana. Lana sticks her head in the window while the woman steps back to give her privacy. Can we trust her, whispers Tracy. Of course we can't trust her. We don't need to. Tracy, they're looking for two people, not three. She pulls her head out of the window and smiles at the woman. Lana drives. She feels fantastic now, jazzed, better than she's felt in months. She presses on the gas and floors it. Tracy jerks up and swivels around to see who's after them. Lana laughs and slows the car down again. It's been such a nice day, she thinks. They're bolt out of Maryland, hammering Tracy into some semblance of sanity. The disaster of the flat solved. The white noise of the tires rolling on asphalt is music to her ears. She turns on the radio and punches the dial, looking for something to sing along to. The woman they picked up has to sit sideways, because the Mustang, a sporty two-door, barely has a back seat. She takes off our shoes, brown pumps with stubby heels. Excuse me, she says. Lana lowers the sound. Do you mind if I unfasten my bra? Surprised by the question, neither Lana nor Tracy answers, and the woman fills the gap. I'm asking because it was kind of you to offer a ride, and I don't want to do anything to upset you. The first thing I do when I get home... Lana loses her place for a moment mentioning home. Well not just home but wherever I'm staying the, f- the first thing I'd do is unfasten my bra. So you don't mind? No, go ahead. The woman untucks her blouse reaches under unfastens her bra and retucks. I'm Lana by the way this is Tracy. I'm Rita. Nice to meet you. Where can we drop you? Where are you going says Rita. We're not sure. That'll be fine. Tracy shoots Lana a look. Rita settles in the back seat. We're going to jump now to chapter five. It's late at night, and the car has crashed on a deserted rural road, and the only place in sight is a tacky roadhouse nightclub called The Lion. The women can't tell whether it's shut down permanently or not. They break in and, fumbling in the dark, locate the bar. Lana gropes her way around the bar and then gropes behind the bar, locating various things, many of which are familiar because she's worked in bars before. The spigots for beer, the faucet, the grate where the water drains. She feels around under the bar, pulls on a handle opening a small refrigerator. The women can finally see, thanks to a pie-shaped yellow light emanating up. What'll it be, says Lana. Lana, no. Tracy, I can be in a bar and not have alcohol. I'm only offering. Just plain water for me, says Rita. I'm thinking, says Tracy. Now, what do I want? Tracy. Fine, okay, whatever is in that spout. What What does it say there on the handle? Pepsi. Tracy lifts off her veil, which has a crystal-studded crown and a long-gathered net with a satin trim. She lays the veil on the bar and strokes it. I guess I'll have a Pepsi, too, says Rita. Holding a glass under a spigot, Lana pulls the lever. It seems miraculous that the soda comes out. Where are you from, Lana, says Tracy. What are you talking about? You've lived next door to me since we were five. Are you nuts? Excuse me, Rita, says Tracy. Tracy leans across the bar to Lana and whispers. I was making conversation because I thought we could find out about her. You know, I'd ask you about you first, and you'd tell us, and then she'd be all relaxed and tell us because I don't think she wants to tell us anything. But we don't want to tell her anything, says Lana. Not wanting to intrude, leaving the young women to confer privately, Rita swivels around on her stool and stops. Far off in the inky darkness, she sees the bright eyes of a large animal. The eyes are yellow, the pupils large circles of black. Unwavering, slightly slanted, and far enough apart that they might not even belong together, the eyes glimmer like lights in fog, diffuse and mysterious. Rita slips off her stool and walks slowly toward the eyes. Lana and Tracy turn. Tracy slaps a hand to her mouth to muffle a shriek. Lana goes silent shocked as much by the realization that they are in the presence of something dangerous as by Rita's pull to it. Rita takes slow but certain steps, drawn inexorably. It would be easier to resist gravity. Lana kicks the refrigerator door. It opens wider, casting enough murky glow to illuminate the shadowy figure of a lion. In an enormous cage... Thick black bars rise like spikes, nearly to the ceiling. The lion is standing in the cage regarding Rita. Rita stares back, mesmerized. She turns and smiles at Lana and Tracy. The lion roars. The women scream and run, crashing into things, heading for the window, which they all try to squeeze through at the same time. Lana yanks Tracy. Let her go first, it's polite. Rita tumbles out first. Tracy nearly gets stuck, but Lana shoves her through and then somersaults herself out in one leap. For a while, they simply lie on the ground and breathe. That was a lion, says Lana. Is that legal? In these country parts, says Rita, it doesn't matter. Why did you walk toward him, asks Tracy. What? You walked right toward him. I don't know, says Rita. He smelled like stale popcorn, says Lana. The minute we saw him, I smelled him. His head is so big, that mane. Like a wild man, says Rita. But why did you smile, says Tracy? That was so strange. Rita thinks, and it comes back to her, what she sensed when she saw him. She feels it again, something stirring inside her. Barely there, and yet for most people it would be unmistakable. A sense of beginning. Rita, however, is so unfamiliar with adventure, or the possibility of it, that she can't tell the difference between something auspicious and a stomachache. I don't know, says Rita. She can only articulate the obvious. He was an astonishment. To subscribe to The Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org writersblock block. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.